She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right. Yes, it is. Happy Friday. Thank you so much for being here today. I am totally pumped up about today's show. First off, I got to give a shout out to daughter the youngest or the baby of the family or the youngest daughter, whatever, whatever we're calling her today. Uh, nicknamed Smurfette by me. She is 16 years old today. So yeah, my youngest child, me and my husband, our youngest child is 16 years old. What am I going to do? I'm, I'm trying to deal with it, people. I'm trying to deal. Uh, so welcome to the program. Thanks so much for watching. And thanks to all of the people who are coming over from iTunes and Google Play. I know the Google Play is still under review, um, but I know we are getting a lot of podcast listeners coming over from their subscription services with, at iTunes. And the numbers are looking so good. I just have to say, woot, woot, and glory to God. Awesome. So excited about that. Today, Tell of the show is Me Too Effect, candidate asks reporter to bring an escort on an interview. I can't wait to talk to you about this because I, I have questions. I have questions. When a man, and, and here's, here's what I want to leave you with for this segment because we're going to launch into the encouragement, but I want you to first just take this with you. Let it marinate on your brain as we work our way through the show because we're going to discuss this in the second segment. And we're going to come in with that audio of state rep Robert Foster. He's a Mississippi gubernatorial candidate. And he has a policy on working with women. He has nicknamed it, what, as so many others have had, uh, Vice President Pence comes to mind specifically, the Billy Graham policy, which means that he has an open door policy when meeting with women. If he's meeting with a woman, the door is open. Uh, he has a one-on-one -on -one policy that is he doesn't eat meals with women alone. So if a woman is present and other people are present, in other words, a group, fine. But if it's one-on-one, -on -one, not going to happen. And lastly, and most importantly, he's not going to be alone in a car with a woman that is not his wife. And he says he does this out of respect for his wife. And also it's his comfort, comfortability. It's what he has done his entire career as a state rep. And he's not changing that because he's running for governor. So put that in, in your, in your back pocket there, think it over a little bit, and then we'll come back to it in the second segment. Uh, we're also going to talk about Pelosi's isolation gambit. It's working. It's actually going pretty well. And then we're going to talk about, uh, I mentioned this yesterday a little bit, AT&T becoming the first mobile service provider to block robocalls. And I, this is important because I'm one of those people who I, I just would get a ton of them every single day. And it was really ruining my cell phone experience, having to constantly, you answer and then a person says, hi. And you're like, hey. And then it's a robocall, right? It's so crazy. What do they think they're going to get out of that? Like how many people actually get a call from a machine and then stay on the line and actually buy something or spend money? I, I have no idea why this is a thing other than to annoy us. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, and of course, the breaking news for today is that Labor Secretary Acosta has actually tendered his resignation. Um, and I have a couple comments on that that I think are kind of important. But right now, I want to get to our encouragement. And this is so like... Guys, um, when I read this, I was reading a Bible study book and I read this bit and I realized straight off the bat, I was like, you know what? So this is saying something to me. This is saying something to me. And so what I did was I kind of wrote down some stuff and I thought about it and then I thought we would share this. And this has got to be where we as Christians kind of let the rubber meet the road. And there's a lot for us, but we can do this. This is something that is doable for us. So the encouragement verse is Isaiah 52, 7. Uh, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, our God reigns. So the question for this one here that we're talking about this encouragement is who or what not who what do we leave behind I got a little distracted there because I hate it when people call me during the show because that tells me two things first of all they 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 don't know when my show is so that's rude like how can you know me and not know that I have a radio show that starts at 2 p.m central like that's totally rude and then the other thing is it also means it, uh, that they don't Either they don't know that I have a show at two o'clock or they know and they still feel like calling me would be a good idea. And why do I have my phone by me? Because I communicate with my producer via text message and telegram. And so those are on my phone. So uh, just to answer anybody who might be like, just shut your phone off. Well, how? Come on. Seriously, I'm not doing that. So anyway, that was my little distraction point there. So 
Isaiah 52, 7, what do we leave behind? So the question for us, and this is this puts the responsibility on us. Do I leave behind? And when I say leave behind, if I move out of a neighborhood, if I leave a workplace, if I maybe, you know, it's the end of Bible study and that group is not going to meet together anymore, or it's the end of book club for that month and I'm not going to see any other people from book club until the next month, whatever you call it. Um, what am I leaving behind in my wake? For some people, they know they've left a bunch of turmoil and garbage in their wake. And so they want to erase the fact that they were ever there. They're like, you know, I don't talk about that job situation or I don't list that job on my resume or I don't discuss that or I don't talk about that friendship or, you know, that type of thing. Right. Um, and, and I can understand that. I mean, who wants to constantly dwell on something that was a negative experience, but as Christians, we have a higher calling. And that is that we're supposed to leave behind something that is a sweet aroma of Christ, number one. And number two, it's supposed to be something that we're not ashamed to look back on and say, yeah, I used to, you know, that used to be my X, Y, Z. I used to be there. I used to do that. That was, that was someplace where I used to, to be. So the question is, is it peace or turmoil? Is it forgiveness or bitterness? Is it contentment or conflict? Flowers of joy or frustration? Love or rancor? What we have to determine in our minds is that regardless of the behavior of the people around us, we're going to leave a legacy that uplifts, encourages, and provides an inspiration to others. And I mean, this is something that it's, it's so like, let's, let's, let's take a little be as real as we can moment. And that is, it's, it's one thing to talk about this here on a podcast, you know, it's, it's one thing to sit here in my air conditioned office with my little glass of water. You know, I got my 15 ounces going on here. I take a sip out of the little, little straw there. And I talk about striving for contentment. I, I, I talk about flowers of joy or frustration. It's so, it's, it's so easy to discuss it right here, right now in this moment, right? But you know what it is <laughs> when you're in that moment and that person is needling you, um, I'll, I'll give an example of one time where I, someone made a comment about me and it just, I couldn't let it go. I wouldn't let it go. I could have let it go, but I wouldn't. It stayed with me for, I think, a couple of years. I overheard a woman that I know that I'm in a group with and some, one of the, the we were all standing around talking in little groups and in a lull in the conversation with the person I was talking to, I overheard a person behind me comment on my size because she's a very petite person, teeny tiny, very, very thin and teeny tiny short. Like she's shorter than all of our kids. She's shorter than all of our kids were when they were preteens. She's a teeny tiny little doll of a person. And the one of the other women who was standing there, who happens to be almost as tall as me, said, oh, I love Stacy. Isn't she great? And the little person said, no, she's just too big for me. She's too tall. And then she used her hands to kind of gesture out this way. She's just too big. She just, I just don't like her. And so I heard her say that. And I couldn't have told you the story like when it actually happened because I was so upset by it. Not that I'm not tall and I've already explained that I'm not exactly on the skinny side, but that it was the way that she just dismissed my entire person because of something that I, I, I can control how much I weigh. I can't control how tall I grew because that is a genetic type of a thing. And so I'm sharing this story. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I don't want you, you know, don't, like, don't feel like you need to uh, devote extra prayer time for me because I've, I've got unforgiveness here. I don't, but I did at the time. And so the option that I had was to either be mad about it internally. Um, obviously I was so shocked. I didn't turn around and say, what'd you just say? Cause you know, obviously being permanently tanned, the expectation is that whenever I hear or see something I don't like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn around, snap my fingers, pop my neck and start yelling and screaming and cursing and acting like an utter fool. Well, I wasn't raised like that. I've never had an experience like that where I've just been like losing my mind and, you know, doing all that stuff. I, you know, maybe one or two times on CNN, I got a little bit rowdy, but nothing like what you would see on a, a world star hip hop, you know, crazy live stream video that they throw up on and go viral all over the place. And so I basically let that comment act like a splinter in my spirit and it just dug its way down and it just was a little source of constant pain. And I, every time I would see her, I would remember the comment and I was just, I would talk to her, but I was cold. I didn't, I didn't talk to her about it. So a friend asked me, 
why I didn't like her. And I was like, what do you mean? Why don't I like her? I like her just fine. They're like, ah, I don't think you do. And then I realized, okay, my, my demeanor is, is actually showing here. And <laughs> I felt bad, right? <laughs> so then I thought, why am I still holding on to this? So I started praying about it. Cause I was like, the Lord won't forgive me of my sins if I don't forgive her for doing this. And then a little part of me was like, well, she has to ask you for forgiveness first. And then I remembered, she doesn't even know I heard her say this. So there were some, some like, I, I have to get this under control. Oh, and by the way, audio and video are out of sync for live stream people. That is actually getting taken care of this weekend with new equipment. So, you know, you'll, you will not have to worry about that again. Um, but you can also put your phone down or your whatever and just listen to me. And that's cool too. So to, to resolve this story, eventually I ended up praying over it and asking for forgiveness for carrying around this anger towards this woman for this comment that she made, which was her expression of her genuine feelings. And even though I didn't like it because it was about me, it was the way she felt and she has every right to feel that way and, you know, whatever. Um, And the fact that I didn't like her because she said that and I tried to from that point forward and I still have to make an effort to do it, to be kind to her and to be a friend to her and not to uh, let that be my way of treating her. And so the question is, I mean, for her, it would be, you know, when someone says, oh, I just love this person, the option is up to us to say, oh, okay, um, awesome. You don't have to say you don't love the person, but if you do say you don't love them and you give a reason, you have to know that that person might overhear you or someone else might tell, someone who's within earshot of you might tell that person that you don't like them. And that leaves behind a spirit of turmoil. For the hearer, if you hear someone say something horrible about you, you can either go to them right away and say, I heard what you just said, and I kind of hated it. And I just want you to know that I heard you. And, uh, you know, I want to let you know that my feelings are hurt or, wh- or whatever. It doesn't have to be a big brawl or a big argument. But if you do that, you have much less likelihood of carrying it around for a couple of years as you don't like this person for whatever, for whatever reason. And that's why I'm sharing the, the kind of personal anecdote not so much because I like sharing what happened, um, but because it's real. This happens to us all the time. I am guilty of it as well. I have said things when someone asks me something, I just blurt out what I really feel. And then another person ends up with their feelings hurt because my feelings are not, they're not complimentary. Then I end up feeling bad about it and thinking about it before I go to bed at night. And then you have to go back and apologize to that person. And so in striving to leave a legacy behind that uplifts and encourages and provides inspiration to others, we have to try to avoid those situations, knowing that as human beings, we're going to say things that offend other people. And sometimes we're going to be the ones who get offended by something that someone else has said, whether it's true or not. It's not about the truth of what they've said. It's about whether or not we get hurt by it and then what we do with that hurt. So God is willing and able And he's right there for us to take away these kinds of hurts. And uh, we talked about this earlier in the week. God actually wants us to say to him, Lord, this is like a bunch of gnats or flies, like pestering me in my mind. I got to get rid of this. I got to let this go. I need to leave it with you. Please set me free from this. If I prayed that way back when I first heard her say it, or just said to her, I know that you're not exactly fond of me, but I just want you to know I have nothing against you. And she probably just said, oh, no, that's not true. You know, because that's how we do. We all, and I said, we, that's how we do. We don't want to be confronted with our stuff. There are so many other ways it could have been handled. So take it from me. Don't, don't do it the way I did it. Instead, follow the instruction from God to us in Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who publishes peace, that means speaks peace and good things to others, who brings good news of happiness, who shares good news, good stories, positive things, who publishes salvation, speaks the truth in love, shares the gospel, leaves behind the sweet aroma of Jesus Christ that draws others into the kingdom, who says to Zion, your God reigns, meaning you continually have the praise of God on your lips. I say that as a recovering complainer, um, compulsive complainer, and If we do that, we're going to find so much more peace and so much more um, camaraderie with people that we may be like, obviously, we're not going to like everybody. In fact, I can guarantee you that you're going to encounter people that you don't like or don't like you because our chemistry sometimes is really off. And when your chemistry is off, it becomes one of those things where you just, you, you feel like that person is repelling you. It's almost it's a magnetism that either you're attracted or you're repelled by each other. And that's okay too. And we're not called to actually like quote fingers, everyone. We're called to treat everyone in the brotherhood 
kindly, regardless of our feelings. And that I'm, I'm on the road. I haven't hit the destination yet. I'm just learning as I go along and sharing with you. So I hope that was encouraging. When we get back, we're going to talk about this guy. He's not going to be alone with a woman. And people are mad about it. Stay there. everybody, Rachel Ray here. Nothing brings a bigger smile to my face than cooking up a big meal for the whole family and lots of friends. But there's not enough room at my table for the 17 million kids in our country who struggle with hunger. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks collects surplus food to give hope to hungry kids. But they can't do it without your help. Support Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. It's important for you to talk to someone about it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Who said that? Me, down here. What are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom! Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that our daughters have what they need to grow and learn. But that isn't the case for nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. that struggle with hunger. Childhood hunger is a heartbreaking reality that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and provides it to families and children in need. You can help kids in need in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Uh, well, I'm a married man, and I made a vow with my wife that I would not be alone with another female, and she made the vow that she would not be alone with another male, and that is my personal decision to uh, right. to live that way. I've lived that way in my professional and personal life. So the, the state treasurer is running for attorney general. Um, she's a woman. If you are elected governor, would you not ride in a car um, or travel with the attorney general? Uh, we'd have a, a staff member or two with us, I'm sure. So you wouldn't feel comfortable riding point, with, with the attorney staff. general if she was elected. Um, you wouldn't feel comfortable with that. You would want someone else. I wouldn't do that. I, it, it doesn't matter who the other woman is. I'm going to always have, if we're going to ride in a car somewhere together, mm-hmm. uh, there would be a staff member or a driver. Uh, the governor's got a driver. So that solves that issue. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, interesting uh, situation. And we'll be, we'll be watching uh, how, it, how it evolves. You know, what's the feedback been generally? Positive or negative in Mississippi toward, towards this situation? 
Oh, I think overwhelmingly the people of Mississippi uh, stand with me on this. Uh, it's not a new practice. People have been practicing this for a very long time. Billy Graham himself, Vice President Mike Pence practices a very similar mm -hmm. uh, scenario. Uh, a lot of professional men and women alike have an open door policy in meetings and do not ride alone with a member of the opposite sex. That is not a new concept. In fact, I think it's something very serious uh, that people ought to be looking at in their own professional lives is maybe they ought to do that as well. So welcome back to the program. Stacey Washington here. StaceyOnTheRight.com is where you can subscribe and watch the program every day at 2 p.m. Central. Um, and I know we are one hour right now. And if you are one of our two-hour listeners coming in from someplace else, then please know that if we get sponsorship and heavy demand for a second hour, we definitely look at that. But right now, we're just so glad to be with you and to be back on the air after a one-week hiatus. So uh, thank you so much. And thank you for sharing the show and letting other people know that you enjoy it because if they're listening to it on the podcast later on on demand, um, we're really appreciative of that. And of course, a shout out to our Patreon uh, supporters and the people who send uh, their gifts and, and love to us to the show uh, through our mailbox and through PayPal. So uh, what you were just listening to there is State Representative Robert Foster. He's running for governor in Mississippi. It's a crowded field. And he's now making a lot of news and trending because of the statement that you just heard. Now, he was being interviewed in that clip by Martha McCallum. Now, I actually had a little bit of a problem with the way Martha McCallum was framing her questions to him as if she, she actually asked him earlier in the interview, well, so would you ride for 16 hours alone in the car with a, 16, with, with a male reporter? And he said, yeah, I would. And she said, well, why wouldn't you think that would be something that would be, you know, of Im impropriety? Well, why would it be if he's a heterosexual, right? <laughs> so he's married to a woman. He's a heterosexual. He's, so it's not automatically implied that every man is a homosexual, but it is implied. It's just a natural thing that the thought process that if you're spending a lot of time alone with a woman and she's not your wife, it may be something that is you know, a problem for you. Now, is he spending a lot of time alone with this reporter? No, but here's the request she made. Cause I want to make sure you understand why this is upsetting to him and to, to everybody else in, in the story. She, what she said was, I want to do a ride along interview and follow you for a day. And he said, I'm on the campaign trail and my next day, that the day she requested, I'll be on the road going from place to place, visiting with, um, you know, constituents and people, prospective donors, et cetera, I, I get out the vote. And his campaign is very small. They don't have a ton of staff. So his other staffers for that day planned on being elsewhere. So he was going to be alone in his car for 16 hours. He's going to start off first thing in the morning, early wee hours of the morning, and crisscross the state in his car stopping at locales that had already been arranged, prearranged meetings. So door knocking, et cetera, et cetera, with different parts of his campaign across the state. And what she requested was not to follow him in her car, not to bring a team with her like a camera team, but to shadow him and do a long form expose on him that she would write after she spent the whole day with him. So she basically said, I'd like to ride in your car with you from the first thing in the morning until the evening. He doesn't know her from Adam other than her being a reporter and being a you know person who's in the public eye. He's not, uh, it's not like they're family friends or anything. It's a woman who admittedly opposes many of the policies that he stands for as a Republican. And so what's the first thing that's popping to your mind right now? If you're thinking Kavanaugh, you and I are in the same place. She seems to me like someone who would Kavanaugh him in a, I mean, just like a split second. She seems like someone to me who would actually ride with him and then insinuate that he looked at her funny or smelled her or, you know, anything she could do to bring him down. She wouldn't have to do it now, mind you, right? She could not do it. He could get elected to the governorship and then she could wait until he was running for the presidency and say, back in two, uh, 2019 in the summer, I shadowed him and spent 16 hours in the car with him where he repeatedly groped me and tried to kiss me and tried to blah, 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 blah. Isn't that what they're doing with Republicans right now? Nothing recent. It's like when a woman wakes up in the morning and she says, <laughs> you know what? <gasps> no, no, I'm not happy today. Something terrible has just returned to my memory. 20 years ago, a Republican man 
touched me in an unwanted way. And it hasn't bothered me until this moment. That is what is happening to Republican men right now. So is it any wonder that they're like, I don't think I'm going to like when you take pictures with Republican men now, they used to do this thing where their arms are behind you and they're like, they're just their fingertips are touching like the outside of your shoulder because it looks like a picture and it's a group. Now the Republican men just stand with their arms to their sides. (laughs) Their arms are just hanging down. And if you're a woman, you're standing near them and you're kind of, your arms are down or you might throw, you know, throw one hand up on your hip to make it saucy. But you're not getting, these, these men don't want to touch you. They're worried. They're like, if I, I know you seem fine, like you seem like a regular person, but if I, if I just touch your shoulder in five years, you might say I touched your rear end instead of your shoulder, right? So is it any wonder that that's what's happening? And the other thing I want you to think about on this is that it's, first of all, he doesn't want to be Kavanaugh, number one. And the second part of this story, I would love to see people just go out and in your own world, if this story comes up, ask the person who has a problem with him. So if it was a woman and she said she didn't want to spend 16 hours alone in a car with a man she didn't know and ask him to bring a female escort, another reporter who's a woman, or to drive his own car, would you have a problem with that? So I... I'm just, I'm just be real with you, okay? If it was me and I was the candidate and a male reporter wanted to ride in my car with me for 16 hours while I crisscrossed the state doing get out the vote efforts for my campaign, I would say no. And I wouldn't even offer justification. I wouldn't say because my husband and I have agreed never to have dinner alone with that. We, we don't actually have that as, as a prohibition. I've had dinner with lots of different people. Nothing has ever happened. It's never been an issue. Um, it's the comfort level of your spouse and yourself. That is where it, it comes down to. But nowadays with me too, really, honestly, you have to sit down and think about it again and say, well, do we really want to have dinner by ourselves with, you know, unless it's in a, like a breakfast spot where it's well lit and you're sitting in, you know, at a table where every, they can see your arms and your legs and see that you're not touching and all that stuff. And even then it's their word against yours, right? So you have to know the people that you're sitting down to eat with, that you're having a meeting with, if you're shutting the door, whatever. So again, point two. Would anybody be surprised if a woman said she didn't want to spend a whole day in the car with a man? And here's, here's the other things that you would, if you click on the link in the, the show notes, when the show goes live on the podcast at 3 p.m., you click through, you'll see the show notes. If you click through to the story at the Epoch Times, which is the one that I linked for you, but the, if you just type in Rep, State Rep Robert Foster or Mississippi gubernatorial candidate uh, policy on working with women or Billy Graham policy rep, Robert Foster, type any of those things in. All the stories that come up will be from CNN, you name it, all over the the spectrum of political ideology for reporting. And all of them are slamming him for making this decision. So again, if a man is uncomfortable, so what? You have to spend time around women. You you can't say no to a woman just because you feel uncomfortable. Here's the other thing. He has no idea what she's going to show up wearing. And this is an indictment on our culture on men for allowing their daughters and their wives to dress that way. And yes, I said, allowing fight me, come at me. You don't like what I just said. Let's go. I guarantee you can't win on this argument. I'll go at you with the Bible about what the Bible says about what can and cannot be done. And then we'll talk about culture and you will lose that argument up and down the spectrum. You cannot come at me on that subject. So I'll say it again. What men and men allow their wives and daughters to wear in their presence with their, they sanction this behavior. And then what we as women have become in an effort to one up other women and be, you know, modern and progressive and feminist, we have devalued our bodies, dehumanized ourselves as female people, as female entities, as something uniquely created by God to compliment men. And then What men have to do now, and especially in corporate environments where they used to have dress codes and now they can't because it's sexist to tell a woman her skirt needs to come near her knee. It's sexist to tell a woman that you shouldn't be able to see any cleavage. It's sexist to tell a woman you need to wear office attire to work. So because those things have become normalized, men who are not looking to cheat, they're, they're not really, they're, they want to go to work and get the job done. They want promotions. They want increase. They want bonuses. They want to see profits uh, increase in their company. They want to grow their business. They want to be a part of a successful operation in their workplace. Men have to now regularly contend with walking in the office and averting their eyes, you know, the ceiling gazing, 
you know, looking only at their phones, squeezing themselves into the corner of the elevator. And the women are just flaunting, walking around in a bodysuit and some boots and a duster, you know, a skirt that barely covers the bottom of their rear end. I, I call it whore gear. It, you know, that I, I have said to my kids, we've been out someplace and I've seen the bottom of a girl's butt cheeks hanging out from under her shorts. And I said, she's advertising. She looks like she's a streetwalker, a prostitute, a whore. That is what I've told my kids before. And why do I tell them that? Because see, here's, here's, the, here's the thing. If you don't tell your kids what a whore is, that culture sure, out there sure will tell them. They'll tell your kids that a whore is acceptable, that dressing like a prostitute is just something that's empowering and makes you feel more like a woman, that self-care involves exposing your body to strangers and anybody else because that's owning it. So yes, I say that to my kids. I have said it and I'll say it again. And the reason I've done it is because if, if anybody's going to tell them what's culturally normative, if anybody's going to teach them something that should repulse them, should be shocking to them, should cause them aversion, it's going to be me. So I'm not using it to uh, kind of be risque with them. I'm using the proper term for what that is, right? I, I, you know, I don't have to go to the internet urban dictionary to increase my lexicon. There are enough descriptors in the Webster's and the Queen's English, which is what I prefer to speak for me to be able to describe to my kids what is acceptable and what is not. And it's, it's not so much that you can't, you know, be happy about your body and, you know, enjoy wearing clothes and enjoy fashion and all of that. That's, that's not it at all. What I'm saying is when we as women expose ourselves continually and devalue the female form to such a degree that it no longer holds any mystique and women are viewed as tools, which is what constant viewing of pornography causes men to see women's bodies as tools. The, the research supports that. Then we're taking something away from ourselves, right? It's, it's, it's almost never about the war being other people taking from you. Often our biggest problem is that we are throwing away what we have. And as women, American women, we have thrown away so much of the mystique and awesome. Um, it, it was this camaraderie and this sense of protection that men had over women in our culture that they no longer have. They no longer see a woman as something, something unique and special that should be protected, that should be cared for, that should be you know, taken into, into a soft place and gently treated. And that is, that, that's our fault. So again, men are already, they, they've, they've had this problem since day one. Since women entered the workplace, they've always had the problem of how to treat women and in the beginning, the treatment was not good. I mean, that's why feminism became a thing because men were mistreating women in the workplace. But then when men began to say, okay, wait a minute, they're right. We need to treat them, you know, as, as coworkers and cohorts. Then women were like, yeah, but you also are horrible. You're a part of the patriarchy and we need to crush you. <laughs> and the men were like, whoa, things have changed. What happened? Why is everybody so mad? So we have an issue here that it's only, I, in my opinion, it only gets worse from here because what they want to do is they want to vilify men like Robert Foster and Mike Pence and Billy Graham and so many other men who have this policy. They want to vilify them. They want to treat them as if they're somehow against women when in reality they're trying to protect themselves. And what they don't realize, because I read the, the comments, I know the, the big maxim on the internet is never read the comments. But I do go to stories and I go to the websites that are kind of geared towards men where they have stories, you know, they're like manly websites. And sometimes I go to those and I'll read the articles about the Me Too movement and I'll read the comments. And when I read the comments, what I see is over and over and over again, men are like, yep, I, you know, my new policy is I don't meet alone with women. Um, and if I have two candidates who are equal and one of them is a man, I choose the man, you know. Because I, I know I'm going to have an easier time because I don't have to worry about sexual harassment. <laughs> so again, what, what are we doing for ourselves? What are we doing for ourselves as women? Well, if you're a feminist and you're out there talking about down with the patriarchy and you need to destroy and crush men, you're a part of the problem. You're actually contributing to what will in, eventually end up being a regression in the marketplace for women where women will not be able to achieve and attain at the level that they might want or be able to deserve to be able to do because 
the doors that would have been open to them when men viewed women as, hey, you know, this is my coworker and we can do these projects together. It's now they're viewing women with suspicion unless they know them very well because that's what the culture is putting out there. And I guarantee you for every article that's written about this guy, Robert Foster, and how horrible he is. And if you watch the interview with Martha McCallum, you can find it on Twitter. Um, if you watch it, this guy, like he's, he's not a bad guy. You know your radar goes off when it's some kind of predator. This is just a regular old married guy who's running for governor in, in uh, Mississippi. And he does not deserve this treatment for making a decision that he and his wife, honoring the decision he and his wife made. All right, we get back. We'll have more for you. Stay right there. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. What if I could tell you that a full-blown wildfire was going to occur tomorrow right where you live? Tell you exactly which neighborhoods it would engulf and how fast it would do it. The first thing you would do is talk with your loved ones and make a plan today. It's true. I can't tell you a wildfire will strike tomorrow. But shouldn't you make a plan anyway? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. My name is Hunter Hayes. I know myself and I know my buzzed warning signs. One shot is about knowing my limits or not necessarily knowing my limits. I start with one shot to have a good time. One of the signs that I'm starting to feel a little buzz is when I start solving not only my own problems, but the entire world's problems. When I know I'm going out, I know I'm going to start with calling for a ride. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. When might you be buzzed? When you suddenly love everything. You guys, I love this song. I love these nachos. I love our kickball league. Oh! I love this guy. What's your name? You know what I love? A ride when it's time to head out. If you see a buzzed warning sign, call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. I love your car. Is this real leather? I'm probably okay to have one more drink before I drive home. I'm probably okay. I open the window to stay alert. Probably okay. I just popped some gum in my mouth. Step out of the car, please. I probably made a mistake. Probably okay isn't okay when it comes to drinking and driving. If you see a warning sign, stop and call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzzed driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Uh Uh-oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. (laughs) And now a speech. I just want to say that friendship is about heart. Heart and brain. Who's with me? Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed. And my brain is saying, when it's time to go home, somebody call me a ride. Love that guy. Me too. Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. everybody welcome back to the show um i have the chat window up and i just want to give a shout out to my friends smoke and tracy <laughs> you guys are awesome um and i want to read out a couple of comments from them this is at stacy on the um they're both these are smoke and tracy are both guys uh just in case you're wondering and they have um smoke smoke asks stacy don't you think the feminist movement is partially to blame for these attitudes Yes, I do smoke. Uh, I do. And, and uh, you know, I feel bad about it because some of the strides that were made by uh, that were made by the feminist movement were things that we would all agree with. But then they just went too far. And now that they've gone too far, it seems like it's a train that's left the station that they can't they can't actually rein it in. And um, now they're just basically anything the feminist movement touches. It just turns it to 
uh, ash. It's just terrible. And um, so the there's a bunch of different stories out there of men who've been wrongly accused who've later been exonerated. And I know there are probably a ton of stories where people have gotten away with rape or what have you, and they've never been prosecuted. We understand that our justice system is flawed because it's run by humans and it's applied by humans. And so anything that has human beings in it is going to be, uh, you know, it's going to have flaws. But um, I just want to give a shout out to folks who are commenting over there. Thank you so much. And um, just to make sure the details are there, her name is Larison Campbell. And if you go to her Twitter feed, she's getting a lot of the, the reporter. She writes for a publication called Mississippi Today. She claims she was told by Foster's campaign director, Colton Robinson, that unless a male colleague accompanied her on the 15-hour campaign trip, she wouldn't be able to shadow the Republican candidate. Her name's Larison Campbell. She's on Twitter, and she's really playing up the victim status. And I just want to just, again, I keep getting from her, I get this wrong vibe. Right. And the reason I get a wrong vibe from her is because if she really wanted to shadow him, it's not what he's doing in the car that she cares about. It's that he's going to be in the car for 15 or 16 hours that day. So she could have said, well, if you don't want to ride in the car alone with me, is it okay if I follow you in my car? She could have also said, I'm going to bring a friend. You know how it is with us girls. All of us has a friend who's a roadie who you call him up the night before. You're like, I'm going to be on the road tomorrow for, you know, so many hours. Ride with me. And and the friend is like, I'm there. You paying for the Starbucks or Caldi's or whatever coffee you like to drink or you paying for lunch? You, you know what you doing? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll cover you. Just just ride with me. I need somebody to ride with me because I got this story to go on and the guy is uncomfortable just with me by myself. But I got to get this because the point here is the story. It's not me spending 16 hours alone with this guy. Do you, do you see what I'm saying there? Like. If she could have just, I would trust her much more, um, Larison Campbell. I'd trust her more if she had said that. But if you look at her, she's cute, you know, and that's not, there's nothing wrong with being cute. I'm, I'm not a hater, but she looks like one of these wannabe Kavanaugh accusers, if you ask me. She looks like somebody who, given the opportunity to do something on behalf of her cause, which is defeating Republicans, she definitely would say, yeah, at one point during the day. While I was typing furiously on my laptop, I became aware of his hand resting on my thigh. She, she's that person. Come on. If she wasn't, why would she not have just said, um, I'll follow you. I'll just follow you along. Right. So anyway, moving on. Um, so I mentioned that Labor Secretary Acosta had tendered his resignation and I had a couple of thoughts on it. And first of all, so. It is my understanding and they're all the reading that I've done about the story with Jeffrey Epstein that back when Labor Secretary Acosta was an attorney general and he was prosecuting, I'm sorry, not attorney general. He was um, not at the Department of Justice. Those are federal. He was he was basically a prosecutor. And when he was prosecuting, he uh, he came across this Epstein thing and he had worked out a plea arrangement where Epstein would serve 18 months in prison. And then he was told, this isn't somebody we're going to mess with. And the plea arrangement was basically changed. So what he had recommended and worked out was no no longer what applied. And Epstein got off with a slap on the wrist where he was able to go to work every day, all day, while he was in prison. He could leave the prison and go go to his workplace and work all day and then go back to prison and stay there at night. And he served a lot less of what, um, you know, a lot less of the time that, that he was originally required to to spend now that being said a lot of times if someone a higher up or someone else says you have to do this and we don't fight it then we get we get an opportunity to kind of own it as well right you kind of own it too the second thing that I I I take away from this in kind of watching the video of him with President Trump is that he basically said to himself I'm the labor secretary and I've been killing it. And president Trump likes me. He didn't know me before. We didn't have a relationship before I went in and interviewed for the job. He liked me. I got the job and I've been doing well, but this story that I am involved in, in my past is taking away from what the president can do with his agenda. And that's bigger than me. And so I can afford to just say, I'm going to resign to me. That's honorable. And it speaks more to the honor of labor secretary Acosta than it does to those who are trying to use him as a linchpin to take down the president, because that's what the Jeffrey Epstein story is all about. If you think it's about 
Jeffrey Epstein finally getting his just desserts for trafficking in underage American girls. If you think it's about him luring young girls into prostitution and getting some kind of uh, vindication for those girls, you're wrong. If you think that somehow what is happening here has any implications on other people who have power and enormous amounts of wealth and money being stopped from doing these same activities, I think you may be wrong. What I think what you're looking at is they found someone who previous to this point was a sacred cow to the Democrats. They liked him. He gave a lot of money to Democrats. They weren't going to prosecute him because he was a cash cow for them. So what did they do? Well, they let him do whatever he wanted and they just looked the other way. But now they're willing to take him down the same way they were willing to throw Bill Clinton on the Barbie and roast him. Something. Um, they were willing to get rid of Bill Clinton. They were really willing to get rid of Hillary and they'll be willing to get rid of anybody else because their main goal now is to take down Donald Trump because they see him winning in 2020. And you can also see that in the story um, surrounding the, the question on the census. And I, I just want well, to maybe just touch on that just a little bit here in this last segment here. Um, and happy Friday to you. I hope you're planning on having a really relaxing weekend and getting away from all the, the kind of political stuff and just unplugging. I know I am. I, you know, we're going to have a birthday party for the daughter today. And then um, the Lego Brick Universe thing is in town. So we might swing by that tomorrow. It's just a lot of hopefully really, really fun stuff we'll get to do. Get church on Sunday. You know, just relax. Um, but on the census question... There's a lot of finger pointing going on right now. And so it's kind of a a win-lose type of a situation where on the one issue, the gerrymandering, the Supreme Court said they're not going to interfere with what individual states do with drawing their political lines. They will not touch it. It's a state issue. On the other side, on the uh, census question, the U.S. census should include the question. And I feel the Supreme Court specifically Chief Justice Roberts, they ruled incorrectly. If they continued to fight the fight, the census would be delayed and that would be a historical black mark on President Trump. But they would eventually win on the question because it has been a part of the census until Obama came around or, yeah, I believe it was Obama who took it off. So why is it so important, the census question issue? If you want me to nutshell it for you, like if, 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 if you ask me, how can I explain this to somebody who's not really politically active, but is really, really interested in the census question and why we're fighting about it, I would say this. In order to give political power to people who aren't citizens of this country, they have to remain in the dark. So as much as Democrats say that we need to bring illegal aliens out of the shadows, they want them in the shadows because right now illegal aliens have enormous voting power. They vote illegally in our elections, and we don't know how many of them there are in this country. So we don't know the true cost of illegal immigration. We estimated at $132 billion a year, but we don't know the true cost. How can we know the true cost? Let's, let's get beyond the free medical, the welfare benefits, the free K-12 through public education, which you pay for through your property tax, even if your kids are in private school. But let's get down to the nitty-gritty. There are places in Texas and California where entire districts are, they have extra congressional representation because those districts have people in them who are counted in the census. So if you're here illegally and you're counted in the census, you have political power because you're going to get a congressperson added to your area once you get reach a certain number of numbers, which is why the onslaught at the border is relentless and will continue. Those people have elected members. Illegal aliens currently have elected members sitting in the halls of Congress who represent them. They are here illegally. They have no right to participate in our political system, but they participate by the fact that they're here and they're counted in the census. And here's the last point, and it's probably the most important one outside of the political power that the Democrats possibly will lose. And, and when I say power, we're talking about 18 congressional seats that are up for grabs if every illegal in this country, if we guesstimate that there are about 30 million of them, and 18 congressional seats could be lost by the Democrats out of California and a couple of other states if those people are no longer counted, you can see why they care, right? 18 congressional seats that the Democrats control would all of a sudden, poof, they're gone. But let's go a step further. 
there is this persistent falsehood that there are 11 million illegal aliens in this country. And what happens is Americans look at the total number of, of people, over 300 million, and they say 11 million. Wow, that's a lot. But they don't compare it to anything. I know I never did until I started researching this issue. When I look at the populations of individual states, 11 million is nothing to a big monster state like Texas or California. But 11 million is huge when you're a Missourian. There are only 5 million or so of us here. 11 million is more than twice the population of Missouri. And there are many other states in this country that have far less population than 11 million. But it's worse than that. These numbers matter, and the Democrats don't want you to know because it's a psychological switch. When people think illegal immigration is a small problem that should just be dealt with with some kind of amnesty, they get to feel good about it, and they get to push it off and not address it. But if you were to learn that there were 30 or 40 or 50 million people in this country illegally, you would feel differently about the issue. And Democrats, Republicans, agnostics, even communists, even Marxists, even Bernie Sanders, the Democrats are concerned that some of their most stalwart supporters, people who call themselves progressives, people who are definitely on their team, would suddenly no longer support their immigration stance if they knew the true numbers of illegal aliens in this country. So there's always the possibility that the Cato Institute, the Heritage Foundation, uh, One America News Now, Fox News, and so many other places are wrong about the number of illegal aliens in this country, that it really is just 11 million, that it's 7 million. That's a possibility. It's also possible that tomorrow I'll wake up and I'll be 10 pounds lighter than I am today. Anything's possible. (laughs) I don't rule anything out. But the fact is, it's unlikely that there are 11 million illegal aliens here. It is much more likely that the numbers are in the tens of millions, 35 to 40 million, 30 million on the low end, and that if Americans were to learn that, they would be much less open to everything that we're seeing, that you would see Democrats openly saying, we need a wall, right? So it's been, the number's been 11 million for 20 years. That's crazy. That's absolutely ridiculous. And, and it's fine if you wish to be blinded by it. And, and this isn't any animus that I have. I, I'll go ahead and say it. For the sake of the podcast, for the good of the order, just to make sure people understand, I am not afraid of people who come from other countries. I grew up in Germany. I've been to, you just go to my, my blog on the About Stacy page. You'll see I've been all over the world. Back to, I've been to Russia when it was USSR. I've been to France. Four, I've been to the country of France four times. Um, I've been to the Netherlands. I've seen the tulips in bloom in Holland. I've been to uh, Saudi Arabia. I lived there for 94 days. Um, I've just been all over. And so I'm not afraid of foreigners, people who speak other languages. I'm not afraid of different uh, parts of the, the world, regions of the world. I got nothing against anybody. But I do have something for America. I love it. I love God. I love country. I love family. And I want our country to be strong. And illegal immigration weakens our country. So have a great weekend. God bless you from the heartland. Stacey Washington.